Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how God saw Moses as a faithful servant in leading the Jewish people out of Egypt. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. You know, at Scanabody's Laboratory, we work in research and manufacture and uh, application for better diagnostics and therapeutics for, for many different diseases, but in particular for patients with kidney failure and cancer. And kidney failure patients and the cancer patients are two groups of patients that, quite frankly, unfortunately, do not have a very good prognosis for the future. In fact, stage four renal failure has the very depressing term of ESRD, which stands for end-stage renal disease. How'd you like to have a disease where it's called end-stage, you know, last, last stage? And the reality is, is that when a nephrologist looks at a room out of a hundred of his dialysis patients who are receiving treatment, he knows that at the end of a year, 25 seats are going to be empty. He knows that at the end of the year, 25 of those hundred patients will die. That's the reality. That's the statistics. And for certain types of cancer at certain stages, the oncologist knows also that for the certain group of his patients that in a year, a certain number will die. So this is a very, very difficult burden. This is a great heaviness. This is a continual sorrow for the nephrologist and the oncologist. The nephrologist, kidney doctor, and the oncologist, they're not in the same position as the pediatrician because the pediatrician will see most of his patients recover from their disease. But unfortunately, the nephrologist and the oncologist have many patients that he knows will not recover from their disease. And the question is, that knowledge that many of the patients will not recover, the question is, what effect does that knowledge have on the nephrologist and the oncologist? What effect on the nephrologist and oncologist could be to make them hard-hearted, where they say, well, they're going to die anyways. And if I let myself become vulnerable, if I let myself become emotionally involved I'll become so crippled by by being torn up by it all that I can't do my job. But then there are some great doctors, great nephrologists like Dr. Wheeler in Lubbock, Texas, and Dr. Hassan Femi in Detroit, who let their hearts become vulnerable. I know them. And who let their hearts be broken for their patients. And when their patients succumb to the disease, then they let that emotion drive them to look for better and apply better ways to diagnose and to treat their patients. And and it's antibodies where we treat patients whenever we lose a patient. It's so frustrating and heartbreaking, and it causes us to say never again and to work harder to discover a better treatment. That's what the tragedy is of the Jewish people's unbelief should do for us. It should frustrate us. It should break our hearts. It should cause us to say never again and to work harder to bring the gospel to the lost Jewish people. And when we encounter another Jewish person who says, in effect, that he'd rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus, that should break our heart. And that should drive us all the more to explain more, to share more, to ask more, to invite more, to plead more, to beg more of the lost Jewish people to get off the train 
that leads to the eternal Holocaust by getting on the train of the Lord Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. So what should the unbelief of the Jewish people do for us? What should the unbelief of the Jewish people cause us to do? The unbelief of the Jewish people should cause us to hear. It should cause us to accept God's call for us in Ezekiel 3.17. Because he had said, uh, remember earlier, he had said to Ezekiel, he said, he said to Ezekiel that they wouldn't hear. And so what should that do for Ezekiel? So then a little few verses down later, God says to Ezekiel in verse 17 of Ezekiel 3, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Their unbelief should cause us to accept more God's appointed post for us. Their unbelief should cause us to read more of God's word, to see more of God's warnings to Israel in his Bible, and to more hear the word at my mouth, and to more give them warning from me. The unbelief of the Jewish people should drive us to our knees to pray for the Jewish people as it says in Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And there is no peace without peace with God. There is no peace without reconciliation with God, without bringing the warfare to an end between God and man, which only occurs at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where peace and truth kissed each other. The unbelief of the Jewish people should drive us to see that God is searching. He's looking for a certain, brave, unusual person. And he says this later in the same book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30, where God now says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. We should be the ones who say to God, not anymore, God, not anymore. You won't have to look anymore for a man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap, as you said, between you and the lost Jewish people, because I'm your man, God, just like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And it's interesting that God said that they would listen to Moses' voice. They shall hearken, and they shall hearken to thy voice. It's interesting that God said to Moses about the Jewish people, they shall hearken to thy voice. God did not say that they would listen and to believe what Moses was saying, but they would listen and believe Moses' voice. That's interesting. They associated the association that the Jewish people made with Moses' voice, with Moses' person. And that shows us how the Jewish people viewed Moses. They viewed Moses as an ambassador for God. And it shows us the great faithfulness of Moses, 
Moses was such a faithful servant to God that the Jewish people viewed Moses as coming from God. So when the people, when the Jewish people heard Moses' voice, they believed that they were hearing from God, and rightly so. And the Jewish people looked to one person to hear from God. And that person, when they wanted to hear from God, the Jewish people looked to Moses to hear from God. The Jewish people understood that when God spoke, Moses spoke. The Jewish people understood that when Moses spoke, God spoke. And Moses was for the Jewish people, their line of communication with God. You know, there was a time, a very interesting time, in the history of the Jewish people when they complained. Unfortunately, it wasn't the only time they complained, but anyways, this was one time when they complained. They complained about the food that God was giving to them to eat. They accused God of wanting to take them into the wilderness to kill them. Very serious accusations. Sin. Great sin. And as a result of that sin, of that great sin, God sent fiery, poisonous serpents. Painful, fatal, bite serpents among them as a judgment. And the people were bitten by these serpents. And the people were writhing in pain as a result of these bites of the serpent. And the people were dying. And in that dilemma, they came to Moses and they said these words, very important, in Numbers 21.7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. That's Numbers 21.7. That's an important chapter. Numbers 21.7. That's an important verse. Because that verse says that when the Jewish people got in trouble by their own sin, they turned to Moses for help. That verse says that they confessed their specific sin to Moses. As it said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. So Moses was the person that they confessed their specific sins to. That verse says that they asked Moses to pray for them and to take away the serpents from them. So Moses was the person they asked to pray for them to God. That verse says that Moses did pray for them, as it says, and Moses was the person who prayed for the Jewish people. This is how important Moses was to the Jewish people. And, it's, and, and, it's, and this all great importance is encompassed in this statement in Exodus 3.18, they shall hearken to thy voice in the same way, in the same way as Moses was to the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. This picture in Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as with Moses to the Jewish people, when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks, God speaks for us. This picture in Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as with Moses to the Jewish people, when God speaks, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. This picture of Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as with Moses to the Jewish people, when we get in trouble because of our sin, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. 
This picture in Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as, as with Moses to the Jewish people, when we're dying because of our sin, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for help to save us from the death that our sin has caused. This picture in Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as with Moses to the Jewish people, we confess our specific sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our priest. He alone is our priest. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This picture in Numbers 21 is so valuable for us because as with Moses to the Jewish people, we ask the Lord Jesus Christ to pray for us, and we know that he does pray for us because of what it says in the picture we get in John 14, 16, where he said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And of what is said of him in Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Seeing he ever liveth to pray for them. The Lord Jesus Christ does pray for us, as we saw him doing in the case of Peter when he said in Luke 22, 31-32, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said in, in John 17, 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. We see how much the Lord Jesus Christ means to us in this picture that we have before us in Numbers 21, where we see how much Moses meant to the Jewish people. And all that Moses meant to the Jewish people is encompassed in this, this part of this verse 18, and they shall hearken to thy voice. And Moses fulfilled his value to the Jewish people because of one word that God used to describe Moses. And that word means so much that it, we, we see it in Numbers 12, 7, where God said, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. What a wonderful statement that God made about Moses. God crowned Moses with the title of faithful. Oh, so it should be for us, huh? Moses was able to fulfill his life work with the Jewish people and be so valuable to them because, because Jehovah, because Jehovah Jesus said Moses was faithful. That's a lesson for us. We'll be able to fulfill our life work. We'll be of value to others if we are like Moses and live in faithfulness to God's word and speak in faithfulness God's word to others. And when Jehovah Jesus then steps out from behind the veil of the Old Testament into the light that we see him in the New Testament. Faithfulness is so important to the Lord Jesus Christ that he speaks a parable. And he uses an analogy of a man with three servants when he says, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. 
Then he that had received the five talents went, traded with the same, made them other five talents. So, Muzzletov. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. And he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest to me five talents. Behold, I've gained five more, beside them, five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two more other talents beside them. His Lord said, his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that as thine. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed, and so forth. In this parable, the Lord told about this master, and he gives to three servants different amounts of monies, according to their abilities, he said. And this, but he gives the same instruction to each one of the three. Each man with his different amounts of money, he was to use them for trading, and they're instructed to be busy while the master went away, and they were to make more money and use the money that he'd given to make more money. And the master goes far away for a long time, and then the servants are left alone, and when each of the servants left alone for the same time, each servant has been faced with the same temptation. Each servant was faced with the temptation to abandon his responsibility to his master, not work for his master when his master was gone. Or, on the other hand, each servant could view himself as still under the eye of the master, even though the master was not there. That was the temptation. And what each servant was going to do when the master was gone, that's the question. Live like the master was there, following his instructions. Live with a love expression to the master and a desire to make the master successful. Live with a desire to be able to present to the master the fruits of a life lived for the master. Or cave in to the temptation, live the life the servant always wanted to live that couldn't because the master was keeping them in bondage. Live out the life of freedom and independence from the master, express it by a liberated life, how the servant really wanted to, really felt about the master, use his life to express his hatred of the master, no desire to make the master successful, live as though the master would never return, live a life of eat and drink and be merry and hope that tomorrow you die, with no interest in anything that's going to happen in the future when the master returns. And one of the three servants caves in to that temptation, and he refuses to work for the master when he didn't have to. But the other two servants resisted that temptation, and they worked for the master. And when the master came back and called each one of the servants to give an account of what they did when he was away, when the two who had worked for him came and presented what they'd done, the, the master crowned them, like Moses, with the title, Good and Faithful Servant. 
And when the one servant who did not work for his master came and confessed that he had done nothing, his master said, wicked and slothful servant. What made the difference between the faithful and unfaithful servants? The faithful servants loved their master. Therefore, they listened. They studied their master. They learned what the master loved. They learned what the master hated. They adapted what they loved and hated to be the same as their master so that they could be like their master. By contrast, the unfaithful servant, he didn't love his master. He had no desire to want to love and hate what his master did. The unfaithful servant had no interest at all to be like his master. The faithful servants, they loved their master. Therefore, they listened and they studied to learn what the master's goals were. And they adapted their goals to be in line with the goals of their master to be so that they could be like their master. By contrast, the unfaithful servant, he didn't love his master. He had no interest at all in wanting to change his goals, his life goals, to be that like that of the master. Faithful servants, they loved their master. Therefore, they missed their master and they looked forward to his return. They lived for his return. But by contrast, the unfaithful servant, he didn't love the master, so he didn't miss the master, and he hoped the master would never return. The faithful servant, they loved their master. Therefore, they used their time that they had, the valuable, precious time, the time that is in short commodity for each one of us. They used that time to accomplish the work that had been given to them that just like the Lord Jesus Christ used his time so that he could go to the Father and say, Father, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. In other words, Father, I used the limited amount of time I had. The night cometh, for Father, I lived my life always with the vision when the night cometh and no man can work. No man can do work what? No man can work to do the work thou gavest me to do. He saw it all that way. And therefore, he used his time to accomplish, to finish. By contrast, the unfaithful servant, he didn't love his master. He didn't use his time to accomplish the work his master gave him. He lived for himself, not for his master. See, at the heart of the faithful servant was a love for the master. And everything blossomed. Everything grew out of this love for the master. And therefore, their growing out was a desire to change, to be like the master. By contrast, the unfaithful servant, he doesn't love the master. He doesn't want anything to change. Nothing is growing. That's why the unfaithful servant said to his master, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. He is maligning the master. And what was he saying? He was in essence saying, I I don't love you, and I tell you I don't love you because I think you're hard, you're not fair, you steal. You take what you didn't invest in. He thought his master was a terrible person. You didn't want to be like him. That's why the, all at the heart of these difference between the unfaithful servant and the faithful servant is whether or not there's a love for the master. That's why Moses wrote in the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6, through, 6 4 through 5. You know, the, the, the Shema, most famous prayer among the Jewish people, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, it's just the beginning it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But the message comes in the next verse. And the next verse is, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, 
with all thy soul and with all thy might. The point is, here, O Israel, make the decision to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And as Moses was the epitome of a faithful servant, that means Moses was faithful by loving Jehovah Jesus with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might. Therefore, Moses listened and he studied Jehovah Jesus to learn what did Jehovah Jesus love, what did he hate, and Moses then adapted himself to love and hate the same things. Moses loved Jehovah Jesus, therefore he listened, he studied what are the goals of God, Jehovah Jesus, were so that he could make his goals, adapt his goals to be the same. Faithful Moses loved the Lord Jesus Christ so that Moses missed God. He looked forward to being the times when he would spend time with God. He loved God, therefore he used his time, his limited time, to accomplish the work that God gave him to do. Moses did not live for himself. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and he lived for him. He looked forward to the time when he would show him what he was able to accomplish for him. Moses was the faithful servant, and we should be as faithful as Moses was in God's eyes. That's why God was comfortable in committing to Moses the responsibility of leading God's Jewish people out of Egypt into Canaan. All this is encompassed in this pregnant phrase, and they shall hearken to thy voice. Let's pray. Father, take the words of your words, Lord, the ones that we've considered today. Put them within our hearts, Lord, and lick the envelope and seal them so they'll be within us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, this message is available for free listening and download, as well as all of Tom Cantor's materials are available. We also have Tom Cantor's latest book, Whosoever Will versus Fatalism, at friendshipwithgod.org, including a free gift to lost Jewish people. Just fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org or call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.